Hi, welcome to Dungeons and Dopamine. I'm Jess Warzniak. And I'm Brie Fagan. And we are here to ideally instill some dopamine into your heart. (laughs) (laughs) Or your brain, or wherever. Wherever you need the dopamine. Wherever you need it, we're going to put it there. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Did this podcast just become (laughs) r-rated it's gonna need that explicit tag we talked about (laughs) so we are best friends and we decided we need to to podcast because we're hilarious people need to hear it absolutely we've been hiding it from the world for too long we've been planning to have a show together since we were eight ish that sounds about right We're going to call it the optimist and sometimes pessimistic, (laughs) pessimistic optimist show. Yes. If you didn't follow along with that, one of us was going to be incredibly optimistic. The other was going to be also optimistic, but but not always as optimistic. Exactly. (laughs) And I don't know if we knew who was going to fill each role. It might have just been like week to week. Mm-hmm. I don't know where we were going to put this show, but <laughs> we were going to have it. Because back then there weren't podcasts. Or was reality it, television. Radio? Maybe. Maybe we were going to have a radio show. Video killed the radio star. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yes. So, anyway, here we are. Podcasting. Podcasting. Because that's a thing that exists in our current future. Yes. <laughs> and all of yours. Lucky you. I look at my microphone as if that's everyone watching, <laughs> listening. Please Or don't. watching. I mean, if you're sometimes. watching, you're on my porch <laughs> and you're creepy. I'll accept it because you're watching. <laughs> <laughs> If you feel like you need to contribute some money our way, that would be great. You can put it in the mailbox. (laughs) (laughs) Just leave it outside the door. It's fine. Anyway, so we're going to have a podcast. We are. We are in our 30s. We've been best friends for pretty much our entire lives at this point. Let's just be honest. Yeah, yeah. It's been a majority for sure. Can we remember a time really... No. So we met in second grade. We went to the same school. Mm-hmm. And then we went on a trip together in fourth grade. <laughs> met in second grade. Fourth grade, I won a competition. <laughs> that nobody knew they were in. No one. Even after I won it, I mm-hmm. didn't know that I had won. I just thought you wanted my company. <laughs> Turns out that wasn't the case. Mm, nope. But then we've been stuck together since then. Then we've been stuck together yeah, since then. We have been stuck together since then. <laughs> Let's see how many times we can use that word. <laughs> so, all of this culminated into a podcast. We're both severe nerds. We're both severely ADD. <laughs> a- I think ADHD is the proper medical yes, term. And we are proper medical people. Yes, proper medical people. Absolutely. I got my degree from Google University. Absolutely. <laughs> and Ross Medical School. <laughs> I mean, I got mine from nothing. <laughs> Ask Jeeves. I just make it up. <laughs> and then call it official. It's like if you walk out of a store with something in your hand, but you look like you're supposed to do it. Or if you have a clipboard. You can do anything if you have a clipboard. Pretty much. Yeah. Get in anywhere. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. People won't question you. Just have to look official. Yeah. So I carry my clipboard and (laughs) (laughs) tell people I have a doctoral degree and everyone buys it. So uh, what we have is ADHD, both actually diagnosed by real life doctors and medical people, (laughs) but they manifest really differently yes so even though we've been best friends our entire lives and have a lot in common we actually are very different people which is interesting yeah 
Um, I'm also medicated, which might be some of the difference. Um, I sleep a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Which might not have anything to do with ADHD. That was just a fun fact for everyone. (laughs) Yes. But my ADHD, I hyper-focus, like a lot of people with ADHD do, but I hyper-focus on whatever topic it is that's caught my interest from that moment until I die. (laughs) I assume as I have not yet died, so that's just an assumption. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Forgive me if I'm wrong. (laughs) And is one billion percent correct as I look around your house and see things that you've been in love with since literally childhood. Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Whales, Lord of the Rings, Lost was a big one. Gilmore Girls is how I've developed the personality. <laughs> We've been over this before. And recently, Dungeons and Dragons yes. come into my life. And now I have a stranglehold on it. And it will never leave. But I've drug you down with me. And here we are. And here we are. <laughs> Dungeons, Dungeons and, and dopamine. dopamine. <laughs> that I, was incredible. We totally didn't practice that. <laughs> and it worked out really well. That was amazing. <laughs> We're amazing. So my ADHD manifests more in, um, so I do hyper-focus just like you do. But I hyper-focus for bursts of time, become very obsessive about things, and then instantly get bored with them. Um, a couple have lasted longer than most, like Lord of the Rings, um, which actually I just attribute to a general love of reading. Not sure it's actually any specific stories. That's fair. Um, and, but that would explain why I've had, I don't know, 16 jobs in my entire life. Most of the time, multiple jobs at once. (laughs) Currently, multiple jobs at once? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, yeah, I recently realized I have been either in school and working or with multiple jobs since about 2011. Holy cow. So I'm trying to think now back to when I started working, but that's all the bragging I can do. I've had (laughs) like a few jobs for an eternity, Mm -hmm. um, Until they, like, get so toxic that I can't take them anymore. And then I leave them. Yes. But which is healthy. Absolutely. what you should do. Yes. I've gotten better at that even. Yes. You have. So, yeah. These COVID. Last, these last couple jobs, really. Yeah. COVID, I lost, well, I left the one job because I was furloughed and they didn't need me back yet. And then I left the other one because... It was toxic. Toxic. Mm. And now I'm happy again. Yay. And I have two jobs now. Mm-hmm. And one of them is with you. <laughs> Not this podcast either, which three might turn jobs. into a third now one. you have three jobs. Three. This is a job. <laughs> and you'll do it well or you won't do it at all. Exactly. I hope that sounded menacing. It was supposed to. You're not very good at menacing, but it was pretty good. Thank you. I'll <laughs> practice. So we have a couple kids. Yep. One each. We each have a child. And I have a, a boy husband. and she has a girl. They're going to get married. Not yep. our husbands. <laughs> no, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> um, our children are the, pretty much the same age. We had them within four months of each other. Yeah. And um, this is how we finally get to be related. Because yes. we've been planning this since childhood too. And we did not marry brothers. Um, so now it rests on our children to get married to really bring this family together. They're our only hope. <laughs> it's no pressure. Uh, yesterday, my daughter coerced your son into admitting that he has a crush on her. <laughs> Apparently, they were eating dinner together. We Aww. were practicing this. We knew they were eating dinner together. That's not the apparently part. They didn't have a secret date. Oh, <laughs> Maybe someday. They could have. <laughs> anyway. So uh, she said, is it true you have a crush on me? And he said, I don't know. <clears throat> and she said, are you serious? Because could you be honest with me? Oh. And he said, yes, he does, in fact, have a crush on her. That's and adorable. Now we can 
happy weep into our hands. We finally did it. It's finally here. <laughs> and they're both so cute. They are. They're so adorable. We win. And nice. They're nice to Yeah. Hear. Yeah. And, and they like some of the same things. Video games, Star Wars. Yeah. Connor is absolutely astonished that our family likes Star Wars and Ninja Turtles or Tinja Nurtles as Carly calls them. Yes. So that's a little bit about us. Mm-hmm. Um, our husbands are cool, but not as cool as our They're kids. Fine. Yeah, not as cool <laughs> as us by any means. Um, shout out to Ryan, my husband, who helped us set up recording and then left so that we could actually record in moderate silence. Yes. And shout out to my husband who ended up having to work today so i did not have to kick him out of the house which is great Woohoo! <laughs> and they're pretty supportive yeah they're they're not bad we'll keep them they'll guest star sometimes yes everyone's quite fun. excited about that and we also have some friends lined up to guest star mm-hmm. they're gonna be amazing you're gonna love them so our idea here is why well, like i said that we want to share our dopamine with you and the way we're planning on doing that is to share our latest obsession or an obsession that Mm -hmm. we've had personally i got a little obsessed with conspiracy theories or urban legends and did some research on those and i'm going to share a couple of those with you and I think your topic is changing every week. Yes. Um, they'll probably be tangent, tangent, whatever. They'll probably be related a little bit. Um, just because when I am doing notes for my current podcast, I am also thinking of ideas for my next podcasts. So um, they, you might be able to see a pattern in there somewhere. Or more likely, you'll see a pattern with what's going on in my life at the time that I'm talking about the podcast topic. I truly hope that these conspiracy theories do not have anything to do with my life. I agree. (laughs) Then we'd have to change it to the bad luck podcast. Podcast. (laughs) And quit. And stop calling it better than meth. (laughs) But so far, it is definitely better than meth. Way better. (laughs) I don't know what scale we rate that on because I don't think either of us has had meth, judging by how many teeth we still have. <laughs> Not but, even sure I could pick meth out in a lineup. Yeah, unless Is it, it liquid? was bright blue like the movie or like oh, that yeah, show. Oh yeah, it's a pill, right? Because of that show. Are we allowed to say stuff like that? Maybe we should just that move show. on. Yeah, <laughs> better than meth. Better than meth. <laughs> so. Conspiracy theories. Yeah. Let's do this. Diving in. Most people have heard of some of the big conspiracy theories, like there's about a billion about 9-11, the Illuminati. Um, Seems like any big world event or anything that brings in loads of money becomes a product of a conspiracy theory. So... I get super creeped out with conspiracy conspiracy theories. I'm so scared that I can't speak properly. (laughs) This is going to be a trip. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm the one that researched it. This is going great. (laughs) So I just think it's super creepy. Sometimes the topics of them, but also the fact that like, Hundreds or possibly thousands of people have researched and found all these anomalies. It's just creepy. I don't know. Just something about it gives me the heebie-jeebies. But with that in mind, I'm actually going to talk about the Titanic, which I also feel like you probably are familiar with. If I have heard of the Titanic. Heard of it. it. Big ship. I feel like there was something important about it. Um, you should probably tell me more. I should. (laughs) So, the Titanic set sail in 1912, and about four days after it was sailed off, it sunk. And, of course, surrounding this are 
about 1.2 billion conspiracy theories. Um, one That's a specific number. I counted every one of them on the internet. And <laughs> one of them that I think is kind of funny is that there was a mummy on board that cursed the ship and caused it to sink. One of them is fairly well known that the owner of White Star Lines, uh, J.P. Morgan, wanted to kill his competitors and they were aboard the ship. So he had it sunk. Um, and then the one that I think is the most far-fetched is that the Germans torpedoed the Titanic. I love the thought that the Germans at the time wouldn't have taken credit for that. <laughs> like an act of war and just being like, eh. Weird. <laughs> Wonder da, how da, da, that da. happened. <laughs> da. <laughs> is that Russian? <laughs> Close enough. I'm sorry, Germans. <laughs> so my f- personal favorite theory is actually that the Titanic never sank. And that is actually a little bit of an a-hole thing to say because 1,500 people died. More than 1,500 people died. And there's a ship at the bottom of the ocean. So, gross. Jessica, why would you say that? That's, like, that's awful. Right, exactly. That's where we're done. Okay, bye. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. (laughs) But what actually I mean is that... It wasn't actually the Titanic ship that was out there that sank. So let's rewind and go back. White Star Lines uh, decided they were going to start kind of a luxury immigration. uh, Because at the time, people were immigrating from Europe to America. America in in the early 1900s was still like promised land. There was still a lot of opportunity and they were cramming these immigrants into boats and they didn't care about the conditions at all they were disgusting and overcrowded and they would send them across the ocean and the people who owned these boats would actually put huge insurance policies in case they went down because they cared so little that it was about the money it was about just getting people there and then getting back so that they could send out another load So White Star comes in kind of looking like a good guy, saying, like, we're going to make this luxury. You're going to like traveling with us. And they built a ship. It was called the Olympic. It's an important plot point there. So so they built the Olympic, and it's a big, beautiful ship. It's doing great. They decide they're going to build another and that was the Titanic. Bum, bum, bum. So. <laughs> <laughs> bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So, the Titanic was going to be a great new ship. And it was going to be another luxury liner. It was very highly anticipated. They were very excited about it. People were really excited about it. It was a big deal. Big ship, big yeah. deal. Uh, nice White travel. S- yeah, exactly. White Star Line was employing a lot of people in Europe, and that was great for them. That's where it started going wrong. Um, the The captain they had, captaining the Olympic, um, Captain Smith, sounds familiar because he also was the captain of the Titanic. He was a little bit of a selfish like kind of stuck up guy maybe not selfish but proud he was a very proud guy he drove his ships like he was really proud and unfortunately that kind of came back to bite him because he crashed the olympic and it had a big boo-boo and they had to repair it then he crashed the olympic again what the second time was much worse. Uh, a naval ship was said to have been sucked into the side of it because these ships have so they're so big that they have kind of a pull to them. So this navy ship crashed right into the side of it, tore it open. It was really bad. Um, and I don't know if this is still the case today, but at least back then, when a 
Navy ship was involved in some kind of crash, the government conducted the investigation. And the government came to the conclusion that it was the Olympics' fault. And that was bad for White Star Lines because that meant no insurance. So they had to fix this all on their own. And it's hearsay. All of this is hearsay because (laughs) it was over 100 years ago. But it's thought that they came and looked at the Olympic and they said, this is never going to be quite right to make it back to its former glory. You're going to have to just basically build a new ship. So they patched her up. They did the best they could. They had to keep her going while the Titanic was still being built or they weren't going to bring in any money. So they tried. <laughs> and was there like a shortage of captains in this time? That's a great question. <laughs> was this his company? He did not own the company. I don't know why they... Just kept allowing him to yeah, I mean, drive ships. And the list of ships he crashed was not over with the olympic and he was the one who captained the titanic like wild i mean wonder if most captains had crashes that weird perhaps maybe it's just a 1912's captain (laughs) fad but he might have been great maybe he was a really good captain (laughs) exactly (laughs) i'm glad that's not a thing anymore (laughs) (laughs) so so poor Smith, you know, poor guy. He's got this on his shoulders. Um, so he's driving the Olympic again, and the rudder gets smashed. They have to keep the ship moving, or else they have no money. <laughs> so they decided to pull a rudder off of the Titanic and put it on the Olympic. And I just learned this while I was researching all parts on a boat are stamped with that boat's number. So the Titanic was stamped with the number 401. The Olympic was stamped with 400. So now the ship, the Olympic, has a 401 propeller on it. But it had to be done. So this is kind of where things go sideways. They begin to go sideways. <laughs> they, White Star Lines calls Captain Smith in and says, look... You messed up. You can tell you messed up, right? We could take you down right now. And in 1912, reputation was so much bigger than it is now because he couldn't, like, go on the internet and talk about how they're being unfair with him or, like, cancel White Star Lines. It just (laughs) didn't happen. So Smith said, how can I make this up to you? And these White Star Line guys said, we've got an idea. What they decided is that they were going to disguise, per se, the Olympic as the Titanic, send her out on the Titanic's maiden voyage, and then sink her for the insurance money. And Yes. And gross. (laughs) Uh, They did not plan on murdering people. That wasn't the idea. They did have a rock solid plan for saving everyone that failed which we'll get into but uh they told smith we can ruin you so you're gonna take part in this little scam that we're gonna pull we're gonna claim the insurance money and then the titanic's in great shape she's brand new she's gonna keep plugging on as the olympic so they put a mustache on the olympic (laughs) And um, it is said, I mean, there's something that support this theory, like there are photos of the Olympic showing that she had 16 portholes and the Titanic was to have 14. When Titanic made her maiden voyage, she had 16. So like, dun, dun, dun. exactly. Um, the other funny thing was that the the Titanic was ordered to be carpeted right before it took its voyage, which was weird because they had already put in new linoleum on the floors. Uh, I guess that was the high end product of the time. I'm just probably full of asbestos, but uh, <laughs> that's not what we're at the bottom about. of the ocean. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Another conspiracy theory. <laughs> um, so 
it's thought that because this was not the Titanic, it was the Olympic, that they carpeted over the linoleum because it was a little worn. Because the Olympic had been out busting up Navy ships. <laughs> <laughs> so they uh, they took care of that. Um, it's said that to switch the ships would have been pretty simple. They were said to be identical as far as their layouts and things like that, size, stuff like that. Um, and the only things on these ships that were labeled with the ship's name, like Titanic or the Olympic, would have been the bow of the boat, the lifeboats, the life jackets, and some small paper products like the menus and things mm -hmm. like that. So really, it would have taken a small crew of men a weekend to switch these two out. And after that was done, nobody would have been able to tell the difference. Even the, like, the crockery and the plates and things like that, they were labeled, but they were labeled with white star line. All standard okay. issue. Mm -hmm. So that was on all the white star ships. <clears throat> so... It would have been a pretty simple switch as far as, you know, switching a boat is simple. <laughs> a giant boat. Yeah, exactly. So uh, the day of inspection for the Titanic, because they, they go under a rigorous inspection to uh, be sent across the ocean. The, the inspection was really, really lax, whereas it normally takes at least a full day. It said the inspection was done by lunch, and they all were, like, taking off and doing their thing after that. Like, it was just done. So, that was very suspicious. And the other strange thing was at the time there was a coal shortage going on in Europe, and that was causing some lack of work. So, people were desperately trying to get to America because they wanted work, they wanted new opportunities, it wouldn't have been hard to fill up a ship like the Titanic, but they didn't sell it to its max. They only sold part of the availability. Um, now, whether that was to try and keep it feeling luxury, keep it mm -hmm. exclusive, but they still had the class system that you see kind of in like James Cameron's movie. Mm -hmm. So really strange. And... This is where it gets a little weirder. Um, they weren't trying to kill these people. They didn't, they just wanted the money. They didn't want to murder 1,500 people. So they sent out another ship. This wasn't a white line ship or white star line ship, but it was called the Californian. And he was to go out and park in the ice field and wait for the Titanic to sink, basically. And then he was to save everyone who wasn't you know on the titanic any longer <laughs> uh, so the californians sent out with a ship of bare bones crew just them and a full cargo load of woolen sweaters so if you've if you've seen the movie you know mm -hmm. that it was in fact quite cold it was april on the atlantic ocean in an ice field what <laughs> what more would they need these woolen sweaters for? So uh, the the Californian set out, sat in the ice field. The captain apparently told his crew, we're going to like buckle down tonight, but I want the motors, the engines, <laughs> <laughs> to be ready to go at any moment. I want you to keep them primed and ready to go. He also went to bed that night, not in his room, but closer to the bridge, and fully uniformed, which was very unusual. It was almost like he was expecting to be called on. Mm -hmm. So uh, that was actually the same thing that the Captain Smith on the Titanic did. He did not sleep in his room. He slept closer to the bridge and fully clothed in his, his uniform. So, yeah, very strange. So it's said that the fact that they would have turned the ship to let the iceberg connect with the side was totally not standard procedure. It was completely out of character. They shouldn't have done that. Um, 
that if they would have hit head on, the ship would have stayed afloat. It would have unfortunately potentially killed some of the crewmen that were sleeping in their bunks. But that was like a 250 people. Instead of a whole boat of people. Exactly. And they would have been able to like limp to somewhere to be safe. So that starts off weird. The entire first 40 minutes of the Titanic sinking, the entire crew acted really weird. They didn't panic at all. And it's said that members of the crew who should have been, like, say, in bed or down enjoying their meals or whatever were very easy to find, very easy to spot, almost as if they were expecting to be called upon for something. One woman even claims that one of the crewmen told her, don't worry, we'll be on the Californian for breakfast. So really strange coincidences. The efforts in general to get rescued were really sloppy. They didn't start shooting off rockets until about 35 minutes after they were sinking. They did not start loading lifeboats until they started shooting off rockets. As we know, um, they did not load the the lifeboats to capacity. One of the lifeboats was recorded as 33% capacity which was about three or six people or something like that. Absolutely ridiculous. A lot of the crew, when they did get rescued, told contradicting stories of the night, um, such as like how far they could see in the fog and things like that. And people who were rescued had a lot of different varying stories and heard things that were really suspicious from the crew like where's the Californian and you know we don't need to get everybody in these lifeboats it probably would have been easier had the Californian arrived on time to load people directly on from one ship to the other why put them in the lifeboats and take all this extra time so the rescue efforts were super sloppy the Californian that night the captain went to sleep and Unfortunately, his communications officer also fell asleep. So that combined with the fact that the Titanic was actually 12 miles off from where it should have sank, together made it so the Californian never heard anything from the Titanic. That is why they never showed up. Mm -hmm. Completely empty boat. Except for wool sweaters. (laughs) Never showed up. They happened to be 12 miles away. Exactly. And um, so, of course, we kind of know the story. The boat breaks in half. It sinks. A lot of people lost their lives. Super horrible tragedy. There's a few weird things that happened the days before it sailed. J.P. Morgan, who owned White Star Lines, canceled his trip along with some of his family and friends. He also pulled several bronze statues that he had in the cargo off of the ship before it sailed and increased the insurance oh days before it sailed super suspicious so when the survivors returned back there was an inquiry in america uh once again they botched it pretty good (laughs) and they sent the crewmen home back to europe When they returned home, they were not allowed to go to their homes. After all this, you'd think, even if they knew that it was going to be a rescue, it wasn't. It was a slaughter. And they would probably just want to go home and see their families. Mm -hmm. But they were not allowed. They were stuck in a dock cargo cabin for 24 hours and then made to sign something and then sent home. There's not a lot of information about what they signed. It's all speculation. It could have been an NDA. It could have been like, I'm not going to go home and end my life (laughs) because of what I've just experienced. And if I do, I'm not going to sue White Star Lines. It's hard to say what they did. But as far as the inquiry in Europe goes... It would have been really easy to convince the European government, the prime minister at the time, not to fight White Star Lines because they were employing 20,000 people. And that was a 
a lot of people. <laughs> it's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So it would have been super easy to convince him to overlook some things that maybe don't add up. And then they had a venue where they held the inquiry. And hearsay, rumor has it, that it was horrible. The The press couldn't actually hear anything that was being said. The few times they did hear it, there was a man uh, from the crew who consistently referred to the ship as the Olympic instead of the Titanic. Super suspicious. And now, of course... It's it's down at the bottom of the ocean. As it's down there eroding, we can see some gray primer underneath the original black paint. And that is the color of the primer used on the Olympic, not the Titanic. And then the most probably damning of all of this would be normally on one of these ships, from my understanding, they would kind of hammer the name of the ship into the side of it and the titanic name was riveted on and as these letters are falling off of the ship they are exposing an m and a p that have been engraved i guess onto Mm -hmm. the side of the ship that's down at the bottom of the ocean now i will say this has kind of been disproven. I personally think crewmen being defensive when they return home, of course they are. They just saw 1,500 people die. There's a lot of people, myself included, who, if my kid had been on that ship, but you came back as a crewman, mm-hmm. how dare you? Like, right. <laughs> you shouldn't be here. My kid should be here. My husband. Why did you survive? And he's at the bottom of the ocean. Right. And especially as some of these details came out about how sloppy it was and everything. And fear i mean the people who survived this some of them didn't want to talk about it mm-hmm. even the crew some of the crewmen killed themselves when they got back and why would they want to talk about any of this or how could they possibly remember it detail by detail mm-hmm. you might not have been able to see that far ahead of you because your brain turned off that part of your brain because you didn't need it you just needed to survive (laughs) you were just living through trauma yes your brain was doing what it could absolutely and i would say for say like um the photos of the olympic having 16 portholes and the titanic having 14 that could have been old-time photography we don't have the they didn't have what we have nowadays they don't even have what we had 50 years ago right over 100 years ago, photography was sort of new and expensive, and maybe a newspaper company already had a picture of the Olympic. It was close enough, so they published it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of, and I did also read that the Olympic did have a different layout from the Titanic, so I don't know exactly how those two got switched, but it's really compelling. It's super interesting. Um, very, very sad. It's always really mm-hmm. sad to think about, but fascinating. I just think I, I get the chills, <laughs> the creepy <That's> shivers. <laughs> and it, I mean, so even the conspiracy theory isn't saying, well, no, that didn't happen. Those people didn't die. Yes. It's just whether or not it was insurance fraud. And yes. Whether or not it was even the brand new fancy Titanic. Yes. Was it the Titanic? That's why I think it's kind of fun to say the titanic didn't sink Mm -hmm. because it didn't it actually the um the ship that was left behind that survived the the titanic sinking still worked for 25 years after that which one was it the olympic did they figure out a way to fix it did they just pour the money into it or Bum, bum, bum. Right. I love it. Love it. They got such a big insurance payout for the Titanic that they renovated the Olympic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And they did make a third ship, uh, the Britannic. I, yep, I remember hearing about that. I don't know a lot of details about it. It's unfortunately not very exciting. They didn't make up any <laughs> stories about it. So there has been no hyper focusing. <laughs> None. <on> the Britannic. <laughs> 
Exactly. <laughs> so that is my story. That is what gave me serotonin and dopamine the last few weeks. <laughs> that is amazing. I had never heard that, surprisingly. It's really common on the internet that comes out, but it's also super weird. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like it's something, if you brought it up in conversation, it's just too weird. <laughs> it's not something I'd talk about at work or something. Right. I'm just going to talk about it. To... <laughs> it doesn't come up. I mean, it could come up in conversation, but again, then you'd just be like, oh no, the Titanic actually did not sink. Yeah, yeah. And you'd be like, seriously, lady? Actually. <laughs> If you want to know the truth. But I am going to start saying that now. That's absolutely going to be my new conversation. Every time. Actually. Let me tell you the true story. Yep. Yep. I love it. So now you can have nightmares about that. Yeah. Because for some reason it's creepy. Thinking about these people that died in vain on the Titanic. My dog. The Olympic. My dog just said hi. J.P. Morgan needed more money so that he could start Chase Bank. Yeah, and make Britannica, Mm -hmm. the third ship. The (laughs) I bet they didn't let Captain Smith drive that one. Oh, uh, Captain Smith didn't drive anything after the Titanic. Oh, that's right. I knew that. (laughs) Hashtag no sympathy. She's crying, everybody that can't see her. She's weeping right now. She feels really bad about that. Sobbing. It's awful. (laughs) Totally believe it. So I think you have something happier-ish to talk about. Yeah, for the most part. I will at least end it on a happy note. So I should lean forward. So my hyper-focus of, well, I guess I won't say of the week because I guess I have been enjoying houseplants now for like six years. I love that we're going from conspiracies <laughs> to houseplants. House I hope you have a houseplant conspiracy. <laughs> I mean, kind of. Yes. There, there is an element this. to it. Um, <laughs> I counted in preparation for this podcast, and I have approximately 58 houseplants. This is not a large number, surprisingly, compared to other people. It is a large number for me, and it does not include all of my tiny plants that are propagating and growing and are having all babies inside of the house yes okay. these are all inside they're um on my main floor or i do have like 10 to 12 in my bedroom now too um yes so my hyper focus or my obsession with house plants actually started with my grandma my nana she always had plants when i was growing up but in particular she had this giant spider plant that just produced probably at this point hundreds of babies and she would give them away to everybody and I knew that someday I would get a spider plant. I was smart enough to know I was not responsible enough for houseplants for a long time. I'm honestly not even sure I tried any houseplants until we bought this house. If I did, I'm sure they did not last. Uh, I did try gardening a handful of times. That has never gone well. So when we bought the house we're in now, this is our forever home. And that was when I finally told my mom I was ready for my plant. And so it started with a spider plant, a tiny little baby spider plant that is still alive and has given me many babies at this point. I'm a little offended that I don't have a spider plant from Nana. Well, I saw how your cactus survived. (laughs) That was Ryan's cactus. (laughs) My dogs are alive. That's and true. my cats. And your cats. <laughs> Most of the time. <laughs> I'm going to bring you a spider plant now. Yes. She's having babies as we speak. Nice. Yes. Poor girl. <laughs> she seems happy about it. Oh, good. Know. Okay. All right. So I got into houseplants. And because I was cool before it was cool, obviously, um, I got into houseplants a little bit before COVID. Because once I announced that I was ready for houseplants... I started receiving all the houseplants. We started getting them as Christmas gifts and birthday presents from my in-laws and from my mother. When my dad had to have his stem cell transplant, I inherited his plants because you're not allowed to have anything that could have bugs or dust or anything in your house after a stem stem cell transplant. And then COVID happened. And the weirdest part, okay, 
No, I'm not even going to say that because there were a lot of weird parts about COVID. <laughs> yeah. Um, but one strange part of COVID was like a houseplant boom. So for some reason during COVID, houseplants became a fad. Um, there, and I read a couple articles about it. Some theories are, you know, people were stuck in the, their houses, so they wanted to add some greenery or just have something else alive in their apartment with them or something, or more people were home. So they decided they could, you know, take on more responsibility. I don't know. I did hear that about pets also. Yes. Like, I mean, tons of dogs and cats got adopted and purchased. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're looking for that dopamine boost. You know, you're stuck at home. You can't get out often. So we attached ourselves to plants. We attached ourselves to pets. And, you know, there was a baby boom, too, I think. I think there were a lot of babies born after COVID. I don't want to dive into that. No. Or, <laughs> no. Um, so, surprisingly enough, houseplants became popular. And even if you talk to some of the smaller, like, floral shops that saw this big boom, or even, like, Etsy sellers that were selling particular houseplants on Etsy, they weren't expecting it. When COVID hit and people were struggling with money and struggling to get unemployment, all of these tiny little plant shops basically thought this was the end. Like, that's it for me. But no, they went from getting, you know, a couple orders a day to hundreds a day of these tiny little plant shops. And, you know, that was great for a while. And then we started seeing it um, in the stores. So the big box stores suddenly went from having a small little plant section to a really big plant section. Um, Or even, I will name this store just because it's international and everybody, almost everybody's heard of it, but even Aldi started selling houseplants. So my second round of houseplants started coming from Aldi. Um, I still have some, not all of them survived. Turns out I'm really bad at succulents. Oh, I just um, gave my mom one of those for Mother's Day. Yeah, because you can <laughs> overlove them, apparently. Um, anyway, so um, so everybody started buying houseplants, and that's great, grand, wonderful, um, except for capitalism. So the downside to this houseplant boom, which could have been incredible because, you know, it, it was a lot of smaller businesses, a lot of local shops, gardeners, greenhouses, all of these people were benefiting from this houseplant boom. But of course, the big box stores had to get into it. And to grow as many houseplants as you need for a big box store to sell those, you need a lot more than your neighborhood gardener that is, um, you know, propagating their plant that they've had forever and sharing it with their friends. The biggest one I read about, I don't even know the name of the greenhouse or the company, but they have to have a 4,000 acre greenhouse to be able to keep up with demand for whatever houseplants they happen to be growing. And when you have that big of a space, obviously you're taking up, you know, all of that square footage, but you're also using a ton of water a ton of energy to keep this place heated. You know, the cleaning, the the pesticides, everything that goes into these house plants. And they were growing, obviously, they're growing plants that are maybe not native to the United States or not native to the area. So then they're using more energy and more water because they have to make up for the fact that they're growing tropical plants in Arizona where it's a dry heat. So we're actually starting to see now that there is a negative carbon footprint to growing houseplants. Just seems completely illogical. Right. You know, you you buy a houseplant because it greens up your area. You know, there's the Facebook articles about how it maybe cleans your air and, you know, it brings you joy and it looks beautiful and it, you know, it makes you feel like you're more connected to nature, but really we're still destroying the environment by having houseplants. And then it gets even stranger because there, so there was a plateau because the coolest part about houseplants usually is that you can propagate them. So my Nana's spider plant that she had for 20 years probably had hundreds of babies 
and she was able to just give spider plants to whoever came over or whoever was around and if my mom killed hers that's okay because there were three more that would come next spring so that's not good for big box stores because there was there was an increase of people that would go in and try to either steal small pieces of these plants at the big box stores to try to propagate them or you know they only had to buy one and then they could give it to their friends so less people had to buy them i've seen the signs that say please do not pick leaves and Mm -hmm. and they say it a bit more eloquently but yeah i've seen them don't steal my plants yeah exactly (laughs) um and you don't have to rebuy plants unless you're really awful at it and kill them not only are they probably going to grow and give you more plants but it's not like you're going through your spider plant. It's just always going to be there if you keep it alive. So now what's happening are two bad, or two scam problems. One is people are starting to breed or create plants that can't be propagated. So the same way like a mule is bred from two different animals and can't procreate, um, now plants can't procreate. So you can't, it's, um, the one I read about was called a pink Congo, but you, you know, people are selling it for super expensive. It's a, it's a variety that's rare. So some people are spending up to five to $10,000 on tiny little starter plants and this one especially, but then somebody who actually knows something about flowers looked or plants looked at it and was like, it's, it's basically a fake flower. Like it's going to grow, but it's never going to like produce babies you can't propagate it so people are excited about this rare plant that now they can only get from somebody who grows this particular plant this sounds a lot like how a horror movie starts (laughs) (laughs) yes and next (laughs) we'll talk about um gosh what's that what's that musical (laughs) <laughs> little Shop, little of, Shop Horrors, of Horrors, how Little Shop of Horrors came to be, and also um, the Goosebump book, Something in the Basement is Growing or something. something yeah, yes, and I, now uh, Last of Us, oh, the mushrooms, is that a that's mushroom how they too? create the, yep. spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to put that tag in there too. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so not only are they going to create evil zombie plants that eventually eat us, but... They are creating them for profit. I cannot imagine spending $5,000 on a plant. Especially because it's a plant. Like, yeah. Some of them just decide not to live. God. They're just like, meh, I don't, I don't like this tap water you give me. I need specific water. <laughs> so, and then the other problem that started when people are willing to pay $5,000 for a plant, you get scam sellers. So they... Um, you can buy plants on Etsy now. You can buy them on Amazon. You can buy them on eBay. I've seen them on Facebook Marketplace. Yep. Facebook Marketplace. And if you're not dealing with a well-known seller or if it's somebody that you don't, or if you're buying overseas, especially for some of these more rare plants, um, maybe they'll send you the plant that you're buying for $5,000 or maybe they'll send you um, a pothos that they propagated that kind of looks like a monstera when they're small and you'll just get this random plant in the mail and think it's something fancy but really it's something you could have got for seven bucks down at a big box store um so there's been tons of articles and tons of issues of people getting scammed out of a lot of money just for these fake plants and The last part of this weirdness of um, houseplants and the downfalls of this houseplant fad is something I started noticing on, again, um, the Aldi Facebook groups. So there's a lot. Number one, there are uh, houseplant Facebook groups all over the place now, and I learned some really cool tips from them. But in the Aldi Facebook group, which can be anything from plants to whatever else happens to be in the Isle of Shame that week. Yes. Um people started noticing that they were taking home lizards when they bought their plants. So after a few days, they'd be watering their plant and notice that there's a lizard in there or a spider or a praying mantis, which sounds cool, like, hey, free lizard. Um, But people were just releasing them outside and these are now invasive species that we're seeing from 
um, Thailand or wherever they're bringing these exotic plants in from. And they're not just nice little lizards that, you know, scamper off into the woods. Of course, they eat um, our normal lizards that are in the United States or um, the praying mantises that are coming over on these on these plants are the ones now that people are finding are eating hummingbirds. <gasps> oh, so and, that's awful. Yeah, there's these crazy Chinese praying mantises, which, by the way, I have a favorite bug, and it is a praying mantis, but not these Chinese ones, because they eat hummingbirds. Wow. So now we've also created an invasive species problem. We have a greenhouse problem. We have a carbon footprint problem. We have scamming problems. We have all of these problems created by something that should have been just a really cool movement. But there are ways to fix it. Or there are ways, there are ways to be responsible about it. So um, especially once I did this research, but even a little bit before that, um, I, I don't want to say vowed. That sounds so serious. I took a, <laughs> I took a vow. Um, but I do my best not to buy any of my plants from a big box store. Um, or if I do, it's something that I could probably find locally anyway, so that I'm not bringing lizards home. But mostly, I would say 95% of the time, I'm either buying from a local greenhouse or florist that did their research and knows what they're bringing in and bought from a reliable seller and you know the plant is in their place for a few days before I buy it so if it does have bugs or lizards it stays there and I don't have to deal with it. Um, but my favorite way is because houseplants got so exciting and it's such a big fad is I now have a bunch of friends that like houseplants and since we're not buying $5,000 pink Congo houseplants we can just propagate and trade plants. So out of the 58 plants I have at home, um, 10 of them are brand new from my friend Tad. And she's, she just moved here from North Carolina. She's been collecting plants for forever. And not only did I get all these cool new plants, but I got to spend the afternoon with her where she told me stories of 90% of these plants. So this isn't just a begonia. This is a begonia that our mutual friend Sam gave her this many years ago, and it's just a little cutting from it, and it's growing, and now I have a Sam begonia. Um, and that, to me, is really what the houseplant thing is about. I'm like, very excited to have a Nana plant. <laughs> yes. I knew Nana. I love Nana. She's fantastic, and I'm so excited. <laughs> and she would be so excited. My Nana would love it to know that plants that she grew and tended and, and green-thumbed all her life not only still exist in the world, but are, like, being passed on through generations now. She would love it. Yeah. And and you can, and some people, I mean, some of these are legacy plants. They started with a great-great-great-grandma, and they've been passed on. My, my husband has palm trees that his dad started when his dad was, like, 18, and again, something else we inherited when we got our house and definitely killed our first summer. And then it just restarted the next summer. And now we have two palm trees. Like, plants are, it, it is the coolest dopamine burst ever. Because they change, sometimes daily, but definitely weekly. So when I'm doing my watering and I'm going through my plants, they have a new shoot or they have a new flower or they produced a new baby. And it's that instant dopamine effect on top of being able to connect with my friends, you know, learning things, just all kinds of stuff about why houseplants are amazing. Dungeons and dopamine. Plants and dopamine. Plants and dopamine. Conspiracies and <laughs> dopamine. <laughs> I actually do also have, um, I'm more outdoor plants than an indoor mm -hmm. plant kind of person. Um, but I do have peonies that came oh. from my grandmother, um, my mom's mom. My mom has them. She took them from her house before we sold it. And she just bequeathed some onto mm -hmm. me. The problem with peonies is they grow real slow and they're picky. They don't like to spread. Mm -hmm. So um, she's growing out there, but she hasn't <laughs> flowered for me yet. It's so exciting when they do, though. I know. I'm going to cry because mm -hmm. they were my grandma's. They were favorite flower, and it's like magic. Mm -hmm. So. And they are like magic. Plants are basically magic. I do have a question for you. Yes. Are these people who 
became really interested and really invested in houseplants and then suddenly had to go back to work so they realized they don't have time for them is it are they dumping them outside and they're starting to grow or is it just the species that are coming in with them I imagine it's probably a little bit of both. Depending on if they can grow in mm -hmm. that area and stuff. Yeah, and, you know, if something that is super, um, you know, something that would only grow in Florida, like if I threw my orchid outside tomorrow, it's not going to go anywhere. But some of it might. That's something I thought of Mm -hmm. when you mentioned that, and then you brought up the spiders. Because even, so, like, my mother-in-law will bring me plants from her yard all the time. And they always have carriers on them. Like, I always end up with different flowers and different ground cover than what she brought me. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do experience that a little bit outside as well. Um, Sharing with my mom, whose environment is about the same as mine, Mm -hmm. but she still will bring things over. It's really interesting. (laughs) I never thought I'd care about plants. Uh, 15-year-old me would say, we're lame. Yeah. Um, And then turn on wrestling and call you (laughs) to discuss what the nwo has just done Mm -hmm. to sting etc that was way more exciting (laughs) absolutely (laughs) and we were super cool trendsetters (laughs) so that's it i hope we could share a little bit of dopamine with you um these are just the beginning Mm -hmm. we will be back in a week with more dopamine we will put it wherever you need it <laughs> and we will dopamine on your terms <laughs> exactly it's better than meth <laughs> and we will see you next week yeah thanks so much for being here with us on dungeons, dungeons and, and dopamine, dopamine.